Morning Church family, as we have the privilege to continue to worship God, I'm going to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open it to the New Testament book of Galatians. We're also going to be not only in Galatians today, but 1 John as we start a new series entitled Cultivated in His Character. We're looking through the fruit of the Spirit as we journey the summer through uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 And we see how God desires to show his character in and through you, his children, us, his church. When I was growing up, there was no greater hero in my life than my grandfather. He was a forester, which meant that some of my formative memories at the earliest of my ages was with him, looking at timber together, him showing me different types of trees. I remember very vividly him planting these pine trees and this big acreage that he had and me being able to plant them down as a four-year-old, a five-year-old. I was excited. I guess I was seven or eight years old when he came to our house and in the back of his truck, he had two apple trees that he planted with my mom and my two younger brothers in the back of our house. I remember waking up the next morning, sure that there would be those huge honey crisp apples that I would be able to eat. And guess what? I was disappointed, wasn't I? Two days passed, no apples. Two weeks passed, no apples. Two months passed, no apples. Two years passed. And if you got really, really close to one of the trees, you would see these little nodules of fruit, these little apples far removed from the apples that you would see at a grocery store. One tree never bore fruit. It was a lesson that I I learned, a couple of lessons that were helpful lessons. One lesson was both of these trees from a distance looked healthy, but the one that bore fruit was healthy and the one that didn't was diseased, sick. I learned the lesson that, that fruit took time to bear. It, it wasn't instantaneous. My grandfather didn't plant that apple tree in the next morning after watering and the sun shining upon it, nor was this luscious fruit that grew from it. Fruit takes time to grow. It's not only true in your backyard, but that's true in the soul of your heart. That fruit takes time to grow. That fruit is is born out of a deep commitment to Christ and a love for him and the son of the word of God and the, and the water of prayer planted in the soul of, of the church. And over time, God cultivates character that looks more like him. This is what it means to walk in the spirit. This is what Paul is talking about in Galatians chapter 5 as he's talking to churches in the region of Galatia and he comes to verse 22 and he says, this is what the fruit of you walking in the Spirit will look like. It's not like apples, not like oranges, but rather the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things There is no law. This comes on the heels of Paul talking about another way to live life as a Christian. There there is a way to live life, not walking in the Spirit, but rather feeding the flesh. Walking not in the Spirit, but gratifying the desires of our flesh. That will bear fruit, but it it is a deadly, poisonous type. 
Notice in verse 19 of Galatians 5 as he lists what it looks like to not walk with the Spirit but gratify the desires of the flesh. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. You can see them. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, robberies, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Paul is saying, I could just keep on going. This is not comprehensive. This is not exhaustive. When you feed the flesh, when you gratify the desires of your passions, your pursuits, it will show, just as it is evident that you're walking in the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit grows in you and through you to be seen by others and to nourish family, friends, and co-workers. So when we gratify the flesh, so it is seen by others. The flesh is... Interesting, this last week we were walking through a devotional in our family and we came to Galatians chapter 5 and uh, one of us, really we were all just kind of talking about what does it mean to not gratify the flesh? I mean, is he talking about the skin? Is he talking about our body here? And the answer is no. All throughout the New Testament, the flesh is used for our attitude, our, our mind, our will that apart from Christ is set on ourselves. And the pursuit of me, mine, and I. Through the power of the gospel, we're set free from the flesh. But we're not going to be fully delivered from the pursuit of the flesh until when? When we're in heaven and we are with him. So between now and heaven, there is a battle that rages inside of every Christian. Between walking in the spirit or gratifying the desires of the flesh. And we must choose each day which team we'll play for. There's an old pulpit story that's been passed around from years to years of a California shepherd who has two sheepdogs that is with him. A hiker comes up behind them, and these two sheepdogs are fighting one another. And, and he, the, the hiker asks, well, which dog usually wins? And the shepherd said, the one that I feed the most wins. Are you feeding the flesh this week? Are you feeding the pursuits of your desires, your way, your will? Are you walking in the Spirit? So when you walk in the Spirit, you are seen as someone that looks different than the world around you. Notice that it says that we will, we will bear the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's not a menu that we choose from. Well, there are going to be some that are gentle Christians and others over here will be patient Christians and others here will be joyful Christians, but I don't have the gift of joy, so I'm going to let that person do it. No, 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 no. These aren't the gifts of the Spirit. This is the fruit of the Spirit. They come all together. This orderly list, notice how there are nine of them in contrast to the works of the flesh. There's this disorganized, disordered type of group here as Paul is just kind of throwing them out and we have this perfect three, three, and three that shows order and symmetry that Paul gives, your life will be ordered when you walk in the Spirit, when you don't gratify the flesh. A tree doesn't grow because a tree tries really, really hard to grow. A tree doesn't uh, grit 
the tree's teeth and says, I want to grow, I want to grow, I want to grow, I want to grow. No, a tree grows when it's planted in healthy soil that is conducive for growth. A tree grows when it is watered. A tree grows when it's exposed to the sun. And the natural thing for a tree to do is for life to, to seep through the sap and go to the twigs and to the branches and to bear fruit. This is what a tree is intended to do because it is organically embedded in the tree. And so when the Spirit of God dwells in you and you by faith have accepted the seed of salvation, what is organic and natural is what is in you grows forth and is seen around you. Love, joy, peace, patience, the fruit of the Spirit. What a joy to think about that of all the things that starts this list, as we look each and every week at each of the attributes of the fruit of the Spirit, that the lead-off hitter is love. Why is that significant? Because out of love come all of the rest of these eight that are before us here. Out of love is the, is the source and the fountainhead of what it means to walk with God and be in a relationship with Him. And so it's not surprising that love would start this list off. Love we see in the ministry of Jesus is at the very heartbeat of what he calls us as disciples to be. John, the gospel of John, tells us in several times uh, as a sort of a repetitious refrain here that people will know that you're my disciples, Jesus says. How? Well, John chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You're also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Skip over to two other chapters, John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment. What? That you love one another. Notice the, fra the phrase here, as I have loved you. John 15, 17, just scoot down a few verses. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Matthew chapter 22 we have a religious leader that tries to back Jesus into a corner by asking him the question, what's the greatest of the commandments? Jesus sums up the Old Testament by saying, love, the vertical love, love your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Horizontal love, a love that goes upward to God and goes outward to your neighbor, to your family, to your friends, to your coworkers. This is what it means to follow me. So none of this is surprising to us, that love would be the lead-off hitter, because really the source of all that is in us is the Spirit of God dwells in us and is seen around us. It stems from this type of love here. Now, I know that word, it's a word that carries so much weight in our culture, but it means at times so little. It is a word that, that in many ways is the most powerful and meaningful word that can come off of your tongue. But at the same breath, it is the most trivialized word. Uh, this last weekend, there's a ninth grader that was with his girlfriend, their second date. They're at the bowling alley. He looks into her eyes, holds her hands and says what? I love you. The same weekend. The 95-year-old dear husband that is holding his wife of 73 years there in the CCU at St. Vincent's just miles away from that bowling alley. And she is vacillating between life and death. And with tears in his eyes, he looks at her and says what? I love 
you. The same three words, so far apart. One phrase means nothing more than extension of teenage hormones. Another phrase is the the very depth of pain and joy and time and tears and happiness and memories. The same phrase is used in each of those scenarios, but they are miles away. This last weekend, you might have said, hey, I discovered this new band. I love their sound. The same weekend, you might have said to a friend or a family member, hey, I just discovered this new restaurant. I love their food. This word love means so much, and it means nothing simultaneously. It's the most meaningful word that we have, but yet can be the most trivialized. So what is love anyway? Aren't you thankful that the word of God defines for us and grounds what what it means for us to be followers of Jesus, to show love. And notice in 1 John chapter 4 that love is defined and love is seen in the person of Jesus. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because why? God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Think about the source of love. Verse 8 is this powerful phrase that God is love. And because God is love, we as disciples are to, to show the love of God to others. We don't show love to be good people. We show love because we're God's people. And the natural growth that the Spirit of God who dwells in you by faith, what comes forth is the essence of God, the love of God. This is who God is. God has always been a loving God. God the Father always loving the Son. The Son always loving the Spirit. The Spirit always loving the Father. That that love has defined the relationship of the triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from eternity past and into eternity future. That love is the music that the Trinity dances to. And we, we as Christians, when we accept the gift of Jesus as our Savior, we enter into a goal, a renovation plan that the Father has for you and he has for me that we look more like Jesus. And you know what that looks like? That's that's love. It's love on display. It's not just mere words. It's not just mere sentiment. It's not hallmark cliches. Verses 9 through 10 tells us that love is displayed supremely how? In and through the Father loving you as a sinner. The Father loving me as a sinner. The Father loving the world so much that he would send his son to die upon the cross. First John tells us is a propitiation for our sins. And you say, whoa, that's a big theological word. No, 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 no. Lean into that word. It it literally means that Jesus died in your place, that you as a sinner have received what you do not deserve as, as Jesus who was perfect received what he didn't deserve. 
The flawless, perfect Son of God paid a price on the cross that you could not pay and I could not pay. He purchased our salvation. Love isn't a word to Jesus. Love is an action. Love is Jesus giving up his eternal time zone to be embedded in our earthly time zone. Love is Jesus going to the cross. Love cost. And John tells us through the power of the Holy Spirit, guess what? As a follower of Jesus, you get to show that kind of love that you've received. Well, listen, you're not called to die for someone's sins. That's once and for all been done on the cross. Praise God. But the principle remains that love will always be costly. Do you know what separates love from just talk? Do you know what separates love from just mere mushy sentiment? Love is sacrificial. Love costs. Love costs time. Love costs convenience. Love costs sleep. Love costs you something. It costs Jesus his life on the cross. And as we love, it costs us something also. There's a family, they bring home the newborn child, and they're so excited. How, how, how does that new uh, family uh, receive this, this wonderful gift of a, a three-week-old, four-week-old that they brought home? How, how, do they, how do they show that adopted son love? How do they show that biological daughter love? You know how they show it? By ooh-in and all-in? As they take pictures? Uh-uh. Mm-mm. You know how love is expressed? It's at 2.44 a.m. when that baby is crying in the middle of the night. And the mom and or the dad, it depends on if it's the first child, the second child, or the third child, how those <laughs> conjunctions work right there. Uh, you get the picture there. Somebody has got to roll out of the bed. Somebody's got to walk down, staggering down the hallway to that baby's crib to pull the baby out, change the diaper to feed that baby, and to rock that baby to sleep. Love costs for those parents sleep. It costs convenience. But there's a depth of love in the midst of that cost that is shown and displayed. We can talk all we want to about love, but we're really not giving love unless we give ourselves to the recipient. Jesus, he gave himself fully to show your love, to his love for each and every one of us here. And so as we think about love, we're reminded of how love expresses itself in, in real sacrificial uh, giving of, of yourself and of your preferences and your conveniences and, and giving in that moment of your time. And it's costly. I, I love the way a medical missionary in Central Africa by the name of Kenneth Moyner says that, that love is, is ultimately expressed in the reality of each one of the attributes of the fruit of the Spirit actually embodied in, in, in real time, in real life. Notice what he says. Joy is love exalting and peace is love at rest. Patience is love enduring in every trial and test. 
Gentleness is love yielding to all that is not sin. Goodness, love, and actions that flow from Christ within. Faith is love's eyes open, the loving Christ to see. Gentleness, love not fighting, but bowed at Calvary. Temperance, love in harness and under Christ's control. The Christ is love in person and love, Christ in the soul. This is the source of love. But I want you to see this morning, I want you to see the display of love. I want, to see how, I want you to see how, how God has orchestrated an advertising campaign through your actions and my actions, your words and my words, the church's witness to draw attention back to the source of love, the God of love. Notice in 1 John chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, we read, Beloved, if God so loved you, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perf- perfected in us. I, notice what John is saying. It's, it's staggering when we sit under the weight of what John is saying. John is saying that we are the the visible extension of the source of love in real time to our co-workers, to our neighbors, to our family members. God in his infinite wisdom could have revealed himself to this world in any way that he desires to in the year 2021. I mean, he's sovereign, he's providential, but here is what John is telling us, that in his sovereign plan, he is invisible, but made visible in your actions, your words, your hugs, your listening ear, your sacrificial care, that the reality of God is displayed in the reality of your love. Whoa! What John is saying, we want to push back from. We want to say, hey, I'm, I'm imperfect. That I, I can't be upon me. But hear me clearly. Of course you're imperfect. That's why Jesus died for you. And he died for me because of our imperfections. But we show through our life, through our actions, through the costly ways that we sacrificially love. We show the reality of a God who is love. We're walking billboards that point people, not to us, to our God who is in heaven. This last week, we, after Sunday service, we got in the vehicle, we drove to Atlanta to see the Braves play the Nationals, to see Acuna and Juan Soto. We were excited about that for about the last six months or so. Anywhere, if I'm driving back from Tuscaloosa back into Birmingham, if I'm driving uh, over to Atlanta, what do I see on the roads uh, every, it seems like five miles? What do you see? Bucky's, 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 Bucky's. You see these huge billboards. I've never been to Bucky's. Have you been to Bucky's? You been to Bucky's? Let me tell you about Bucky's. We stopped there. We stopped there because we saw the billboards. And the billboard said, stop at Bucky's, stop at Bucky's. And I thought, man, this, is, this has got to be some kind of gas station here. We needed gas. We needed some water. So we stopped. Us and 78,000 people were at Bucky's Sunday afternoon. Uh, it, is, it is a combination. It is, it, is, uh, it is, I'm still dizzy 
from Bucky's. I'm just going to tell you, it is an overwhelming sensory experience that is intended to be a one-stop shop for everything that you possibly could need. If you need some clothes, stop there. Hey, I, I've, I never knew this, but I'm just going to drive to Bucky's for everything that I need from now on right here. I mean, it, it is that. It's like Walmart and Cracker Barrel and a gas station. I'm rather unsophisticated because I'm absolutely e- e- enamored with this thought. My, my nine-year-old son, we're walking out of the restroom, and he said, Dad, there are all of these paintings in the restroom that are for sale. We, I've never thought about, about buying art in a gas station restroom. <laughs> But that's, that's the kind of place that you're stopping at. I mean, I, I just felt like I was at home. I, mean, I was just like, yes, this, this is everything that's right in the world right here. So, uh, so we stopped there. Now, what got us there, it wasn't on my radar. I had never heard of Bucky's before. I think they maybe were in Texas. I tried not to go to Texas. I'm just kidding. It's just a joke right there. Sorry, John. John's a Texan there. So, so I stopped because... The billboards. The, the billboards showed me that there was something to go to. Now listen, uh, the billboards are not the destination. Could you imagine somebody getting off at an exit, coming back from Tuscaloosa into Birmingham, and stopping and standing under the billboard to gaze up at the billboard? The answer is no. That's not the intent of it. The intent is to drive to Leeds and get off of that exit and go to the place that it is advertising. Your life and my life, they're walking advertisements. We're billboards, not to point to us but to point to God. We're called to be salt. We're called to be light. Don't uh, hide your light, but let it shine so people may see your good deeds. And as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do you know that this is God's plan for the spreading of Christianity? Rodney Stark, who was a sociologist that taught at Baylor for years, has a book called The Triumph of Christianity. And it's a really interesting book when he talks about the spread of the Christian church in those early years. He estimates that uh, 125 AD, there's approximately 35,000 to 40,000 Christians. So we're 100 years approximately from the crucifixion of Jesus and the spread of that small sect, S-E-C-T, that has grown, has grown to 35 to 40,000 people. Birth at Pentecost, birth with Peter. Now, when you get to about 250, 300 AD, that 35 to 40,000, according to Rodney Stark and other historians, becomes 1.2 million people. Exponential growth. How does this early group based out of Jerusalem begin to spread and make an effect that in 2021, here in Birmingham, Alabama, we are celebrating a resurrected Jesus Christ? How did that happen? Rodney Stark, he talks about how in that early Greco-Roman world, there was a plague that came through. And one of the things that occurred was that uh, at the first symptoms of sickness, people would kick their loved ones out of their house. At the first sign of sickness, get out of my house. You're my son, but get out of my house. He cannot spread. We have to quarantine in such a way that this cannot spread. And do you know, do you know the only people that took people in were Christians? The earliest Christians were known for organizing poverty relief. You walk through the whole book 
all the epistles of, of Paul, one of the refrains that's in the background is they're raising money for the famine that is occurring in the Jerusalem church. The early Christians, uh, uh, they established orphanages because it was a widespread practice to have children that were unwanted and to leave those children to be exposed to the animals, to be exposed to nature, to die. And so the Christians, they would come up, they would take these children in, and ultimately orphanages and adoption was birthed out of what? It was birthed out of the love of God showing through the works of that early church. Julian, the apostate in the early fourth century, he he wrote, he was a Roman emperor, he wrote in disgust at the widespread growth of Christianity and notice what he nails it to. These impious Galileans, he's talking about Christians here, not only feed their own poor, but ours also. While the pagan priests neglect the poor, the hated Galileans, Christians, devote themselves to works of charity. How did the message of the love of God spread in that dark pagan world? It was the tangible love of believers that was seen and made an evident difference that people, even non-believers, even the most powerful people in that land took a step back and said, I don't understand it. How will the Christian message continue to spread in in a land that is dark, a land that is hurting, a land that is looking for love in all the wrong places? It will spread the same way. The news of the gospel, of the life-changing God that desires to have a relationship with each and every one of us that would turn to him, repent of sin, and cast ourselves upon the love of the Son of God. That message is spread when you and I, when we as Christians show an evident difference in the tangible acts of love that our neighbors see, that our family sees, that our co-workers see, and people step back and say, I can't explain it, but there's something different, and that difference is the God that dwells in us and the fruit of that God that grows forth from us. So the question that we all have to answer is, is what are we known for? What do we want to be known for? I pray. As this has been true for 97 years in the history of this church, people would look at Dawson and say, those people, those are people that love well. That they would say of you, they would say of me, they would say of all of us, I don't know what's going on, but there is something different about him or her.